When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's your relationship with play? How do you see play in your everyday life? As a child, how did you see it? And what about now as an adult? And even more importantly, if you are being honest, do you actually even think that this is an important question to ask yourself? Here's what I'm getting at. Many of us don't stop and pay attention to the significant impact of this idea of play in our lives and how it's transformed the way that we see the world now. You see, play is defined as this, to engage in activity for enjoyment and recreation rather than a serious or practical purpose. Pay attention to those first two words of the definition, to engage. These words assume that engaging in play is a given. But what if some people can't engage because of the obstacles that have made play inaccessible? Someone who has thought a lot about the significance of play and this inherent problem with it is Cody Goldberg. When Cody and his wife received the news that their daughter, Harper, was diagnosed with a condition that would require her to use a wheelchair for the rest of her life, it would change everything. More specifically, it would make Cody a forever zealot for inclusion of children experiencing disabilities in playgrounds across America. Cody ended up leaving his creative career where he'd worked for years with iconic brands like Red Bull and Adidas and set out to create an inclusive playground in my old hometown of Portland, Oregon. He held a big grand opening and named the playground Harper's Playground after his daughter. And that's where I found out about Cody. I've admired Cody for a long time and asked him to sit down for a conversation about play, experiencing disability, and how we can all make an impact in our communities like Cody has. Cody is such a humble and brilliant guy, and I loved getting to talk with him in my cool hipster hotel room in Portland, Oregon. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good, the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. I am so excited about this conversation, so let's just jump straight into it, play a little. First of all, welcome back from vacation. Thank you very much. How did the road trip go? Oh my gosh. A three-week adventure in an RV was um, wow. was an adventure. Absolutely. That's amazing. And right before you left on the trip, we were thinking about recording, and then you know everything fell apart on the RV, it seems. The toilet stopped working. The fridge stopped working. Uh, actually, in fact, many of the floorboards were pulled up at the time <laughs> we first spoke. Yeah. It's a 1982... RV. That's amazing. Is, uh, that's a pretty old RV. And it's called a Tioga. So, yeah, your listeners should know that my daughter Lennon is in the room yes. for this. And she was making sure I, I got the name of our RV correct. It's a Perfect. Fleetwood Tioga. There we go. That's so fun. Yeah. But you got it up and running. Yeah, we got it up and running and it ran like a charm. The 
uh, I don't like to talk about the toilet in the RV too much, but it worked. And <laughs> uh, the refrigerator worked. And most importantly, the engine started every day, and it, it took us from point A to point B. That's what you need. Yeah. That's amazing. Good family time. Oh, it was amazing. I, in fact, I think the highlight for us as a family was that we woke up, we went to sleep, and we woke up in the same, essentially, room every day. Wow. And the, the connection of us together was really special. That's really cool. Yeah. There's four of you? Yeah. My wife, April, uh, daughter number one, Harper, and daughter number two, Lennon. Lennon's right here. Hey, Lennon. Lennon's in the room. <laughs> she's covering her eyes because she's getting shy. I love it. <laughs> Man, so so much of your story revolves around play. Uh, I would imagine you you got to enjoy a lot of play on this adventure. Tell me what play was like for you as a child. Wow, um, it's funny you ask that about this journey, this you know playground journey that I've been on. Because when we started designing playground number one, I really started to reflect on what I, what my memories of play were. As a child, I grew up in a very playful community, luckily. Um, my parents were bona fide San Francisco hippies, and <laughs> they, they absolutely preferred a playful lifestyle. Mm. So I grew up in a playful place, and probably in this interview, we're going to use the word play and playful a few too many times. I could just talk play, play, play all day. I love it. The home that I grew up in was adjacent to nat uh, nature space basically mm. open space. So outside my back door, I could play in the woods all the time. So, so I grew up with a great appreciation for playing in nature. And you were in San Francisco? Well, Marin County specifically is okay. where, where my parents had moved to before they decided to have kids. And a lot of the, their, their friends from San Francisco had moved up there. And it was an incredibly um, warm and supportive and, yes, playful community. Man, what were your favorite ways to play as a kid? Like, what are some of the, the most meaningful experiences you had? The number one play experience that I, I, I go back to, especially when it is in relation to the, the design of the playground, uh, when it would rain on the hill we grew up in, there would be these little creeks that would get formed, little mm. temporary creeks. They're probably, they were probably too small to call a creek. They just ran alongside of the, the street that we would walk up to our house. But we would create dams with little, you know, little mud dams and sticks, and we would sometimes float little homemade boats down them and playing in water with mud or sand um very much some of my favorite childhood play memories man and then was there a point where kind of like all kids do you outgrew play or was there a time where like many kids or, or really adults do that you outgrew play or have you kind of has play been a central part of your life this whole time and that's why you're here where you are I am definitely here because I have never wanted to um, and never accepted that you have to let go of play. Mm. Absolutely. I think that I was drawn to this work, especially because it would allow me to stay connected to wow. play. And my entire career, and while I'm not big on air quotes, I'm going to throw them out there. My career has always been playful. We can dive into really? some of what that was like, but um, I've really never had a very serious job in my whole life. Yeah, tell me more about that. Tell me about how play evolved for you beyond childhood and, and building dams along your street? Well, I, you know, it does go back to childhood in which I, I think my parents were the kind of parents, as I think a lot of the, the hippie parents were, that they were always pushing me to figure out uh, 
what I loved to do mm. and that that would be what I would do for the rest of my life. And um, it took a long time. I was 41 when we stumbled on the idea of Harper's Playground. But I had been having really playful jobs until then. In fact, I studied film and television in college because I thought it would be fun to make movies. Mm. And when that didn't really pan out for me, I got a job in the mailroom at Adidas because I love sports and I thought it would be fun to work at Adidas. And that was here in Portland. That's here in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And out of the mailroom, I I was studying all the different jobs at Adidas and it looked like sports marketing would be the most fun because you got to work with the athletes directly. 100%. Give them product and go to their events and have a good time you're literally working with players precisely (laughs) yeah and i worked with skateboarders and olympic athletes and gymnasts and boxers a really nice variety for me playful environments include a lot of variety of Mm, experience that's Uh, true so i got to enjoy that and then i was snatched away from adidas by red bull energy drink which uh you might not at first think of it as a playful brand but um Man, they have a lot of fun over there. Wait, Lennon had a, uh, a thing to say about Red Bull. What was that, Lennon? It's actually bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm much prouder to be building playgrounds than giving away free Red Bulls. That's true. <laughs> yes. Red Bull is maybe the most fun brand that I've never bought anything from. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Not everyone needs it, but it works It works well for those who do. We'll, we'll leave it there. <laughs> um. That's so funny. Okay, so you're living here in Portland. You're working these fun jobs. Uh, Are you married at this point? At some point in that whole story, yeah, we got (laughs) married. Um, Actually, that's a good good interjection. When I met my wife, I was on hiatus from a traveling tribal music band that I was a member of for a year. What? Really? Yeah. That sounds playful. It was very playful. I spent one year in a, uh, in a, I mean, it was a glorified drum circle, but we, we had a CD and we traveled all of Mexico. And so when I met my wife, I was in the band, I was on a break and we dated for about a month here in Portland. I went back to Mexico and for about five months we were internet dating, you know, it's actually, it's funny. It's when email was sort of, sort of new. Wow. This was 1998. You got mail territory right here. Yeah. And, uh, it was a really great way to get to know one another. And towards the end of the five months, I convinced her to fly down to Puerto Vallarta, spend the final week with the band, at least in the, the formation that the band was then. And we drove from Puerto Vallarta back up to Portland. It's a great date. Yeah. It was a really nice extended date. And it was when I got back to Portland after that one year in Mexico that I took that job in the mailroom of Adidas. Wow. Okay. And then when did Lennon come along? Lennon came along about uh, how many years later? So we were married in 2001, and Lennon was born in 2008. Wow. Yeah. And... Uh, she is one of the best things in my life ever. And I would imagine that as somebody who loves play, yeah. and kids are like made up of play and energy and fun. What were you like anticipating as as you know the pregnancy continued and and you were getting ready to like have a kid for the first time? Well, you know, so Lennon's pregnancy was very different from Harper's. Harper was our first daughter. She was born in two thousand and five. Mm, I got it. And our anticipation. You know, actually, I'm not big on over overly anticipating things and overly... Um, I just find that surprises are the best, Yeah, I guess. So we didn't have a lot of visions of how things would be. We, don't, we didn't really, uh, I think, overthink all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, 
having a child, I think, is overwhelming enough to. to I, I couldn't even wrap my head around the fact that there was a baby in my wife's, you know, belly. I mean, that was. <laughs> I think us guys can't even contemplate that really. Um, so I didn't have a lot of expectations um, other than I really wanted to be a good dad, mm. for sure. And so, yeah, tell me a little bit more about uh, Harper's pregnancy. It was incredibly normal, um, at least for me. I think it's easier for the guy to say. Uh, it was, but it was normal. Uh, everything was tracking well. The only thing that was out of nor- the norm was that um, I think she was two weeks late, mm. and they decided that it was time to induce birth. And it was almost two full days that we were in the hospital going, wow. going through the labor. And everything changed the moment she came out. Everything was outside the norm and different the very second she came out. Really? How so? She was purple and she was not able to breathe on her own. And I was standing there with the forceps. I was going to cut the umbilical cord. And I was still holding on to them, kind of nervous for my job, when she was whisked across the room by a team of nurses and they had sounded alarm bells of worry. And it, it took a few seconds for me to realize that I didn't get to do my job. And then it took definitely a few more seconds to realize something wasn't right. Mm. Um, and that was the start of several hours of her struggling to live. And, I mean, Harper is still with us today. Yep. And so she did live. What were those moments like, though, where you were unsure? Yeah. <sighs> Harrowing, uh, horrible, scary uh, and overwhelming feelings of, of helplessness, powerlessness. Yeah. I was over next to Harper. I was standing above her, sort of almost nose to nose, pleading with her to fight, to hold on. And her little body was working so hard for every breath. Um, she had an otherwise benign cyst in her airway, but it was blocking about 80% of her airway. Wow. And all of the medical staff in the hospital tried and tried to get an air tube in and uh, in to intubate her and they they continually were failing and so then they were between trying to get air, air into her body through the airway they were then putting mass oxygen on top of her face just to keep her alive basically yeah. um her readings were borderline uh for almost a few hours wow and at one point they actually brought a priest in and suggested that they it was time to give up Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course we were not willing to think about that, no. um, until it was taken out of our hands. That's for sure. And about that time, uh, one of the best doctors in all of Portland came from across the city and saved her life. Really? Yeah. What was that doctor's name? Dwayne, uh, Lundeberg. And he, to this day, treats her often. Wow. Uh, he's our go-to ear, nose, and throat specialist. We'll even ask him for advice on other parts of her body. <laughs> he's We're so like, good. We trust you. You've done a good job. More importantly, Harper trusts him. That's yeah. amazing. And so Harper ends up being okay. How long are you guys in the hospital for? We were in the neonatal intensive care unit for a full month. Full month. And there were many ups and downs. Um, in preparation for surgery, they found out that she has a heart defect, so they came to us with that news. Um, there were a few other anomalies, and they suggested that it would be a good idea to take a blood sample and do some genetic testing hmm. to find out what might be going on that was out, outside the norm. 
And what did that come back with? What were their expectations? We actually had just gone home from the hospital after being there a month when we were called back to a meeting with a geneticist. And we sat in this very drab little room where they uh, pulled out some Google printouts they had made because they had never heard of this difference that she has. Um, They just told us what it was called. It's called Emmanuel Syndrome. And they said that we should expect she would never walk nor talk in her lifetime. We have taught her how to walk using a walker. Yeah. And she can walk even sometimes independent. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And so tell me about defying those expectations. They didn't expect her to be able to walk. So, yeah, that's funny. I earlier said I I, I think the word I was looking for is expectations. Mm. I try not to carry too many expectations. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a lot of expectations during the pregnancy. And outside of being optimistic, which I love is one of your key words, um, outside of general optimism and creating positive visions for the future, um, I try not to hold on to expectations too hard. Um, mm. So when they told us what to expect, I certainly instantly said, "That's we're not going down that path. We're yeah. not, not going to create an, a set of expectations for her life. Yeah, tell me more, like on a philosophical level, you know, what not setting expectations does for the world and for individuals and for our lives. I think it helps live in the present moment. I think um, one of the m- many gifts that Harper brought to us was that she dragged us kicking and screaming into the present moment, mm. spending time worrying about her future and what that might look like, and especially whether or not it would be a, a dark or you know scary vision. We really had the epiphany early on that when we were present with Harper and when we remain present as people, everything's always cool. Mm. Um, it's one of the things I love about play. Play is one of the manners in which humans are fully present. Mm. It's one of the best ways to remain present. And all kinds of gifts come through play. You are actually building skill. You're having fun, which is good for you. Um, and the the mere fact that you're being present means that you're going to be happier and um, more aware of the good things. Mm. That's really good. That's really good. Yeah. Play is pretty cool. So tell me about like your early experiences playing with Harper. Because she's, you yeah. know, I don't know if this is the right word to use, but she's... I mean, I guess this comes back to expectations. What I was about to say is she's different than expectations. But when you have no expectations, then there's not really a difference there. Yeah. We held on to being present with her, which was miraculous and joyful. And um, while she remains nonverbal, she has always had the most intense and beautiful eye contact Mm. that I've ever experienced. And we communicate non-verbally, especially with our eyes, so much. So playing with her was always a joy. And the the really interesting thing about having a child with a very severe disability and a child who is what they call typically developing in Lennon, um, I can tell you that they both bring incredible joys, incredible struggles, incredible... Um, miracles along the route and it's equally the same amount of work and pleasure with both. Lennon's giving a thumbs up right now. Yep. So cute and smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. And so I would imagine in those early days of playing you do start to like look around and realize that the world isn't necessarily built for kids like Harper. Do you remember one of the first moments where because she's just your daughter. Yeah. And then you look around and you're like, this doesn't work. This this 
thing that works for me isn't working for her. This thing that works for this kid doesn't work for our kid. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I consider myself a zealot for inclusion for people mm. with disabilities. And I have to give a lot of that um, passion first, actually, to a woman that my wife and I went and, her, and heard speak. Her name is Kathy Snow. And um, she's written a book called Disability is Natural. Um, she's a world leader in mm. the concept that people with disabilities can and should be included in everything, school, the playground, the workspace. Um, it's an, an incredible opportunity for the human race to do better, mm. not just by people who experience disability, but th those people with disabilities actually have gifts that are left on the sidelines. Yeah. This is one of the major themes of our playground idea is that we don't build the playground out of charity for kids with disabilities. We build it because an inclusive environment is better for everyone. Mm. Everyone benefits when everyone's included. And so talk about that in terms of the first time that you guys went to a playground. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to I go back to Kathy for a second just yeah. because my, my wife and I went and heard her speak when Harper was about a year old. Okay. And it was so empowering to hear her message. And she really set the foundation, I think, for us when, now to answer your question that you just asked, about her fourth birthday, she learned how to walk with this little walker, this little yellow wow. walker. And we took our maiden voyage with her in that walker to our neighborhood park. And we walked across the park. It's a beautiful neighborhood park. And we got to the far end to where the playground is situated. And she literally got stuck in those wood chips mm. that surround the typical playground structure. And for us, that was certainly a bellwether moment, um, a moment that launched us into this crazy um, seven-year-now journey for us of wanting to change the way playgrounds are built. Man. So ultimately, you, in my mind, are the expert on playgrounds. Uh, I don't know anybody that knows more about playgrounds. Maybe you know somebody who knows more than you about playgrounds. I do. But you are the person who is the expert in my mind on playgrounds. I have, I certainly have uh, at, at least probably 20,000 hours on the subject. And yeah. I know there's uh, a very smart man wrote something about uh, 10,000 hours makes <laughs> you an expert in something. I've got at least 20,000 hours. Um, actually, and I, I want to interject. I think yeah. most human beings are born um, experts in play. Hmm. And when we tap into the, the gifts that we were born with, we can almost... Uh, you know, very quickly become experts in playgrounds. Mm. Um, and I brought a lot of childish or childlike enthusiasm to the playground process, yeah. for sure. I certainly tapped into some memories. Uh, one key memory for me, there was an empty lot that was at the bottom of the hill I grew up on where we used to build bicycle jumps and play tag and um, all sorts of great play happened in this empty lot. And some well-meaning people came in and built a typical playground structure there. And they put a fence around it. And it really restricted the numbers of people who could enjoy that space. Mm. Um, so as an expert, what I know is that um, almost nothing is better than the typical playground structure. Mm. I, will, I will go to bat on that idea. An overly structured environment is just not good for kids. Um, a natural open space will, will beat it. So... Where you know, I'm an expert in the idea that almost nothing is is a good idea. Um, Man, minimalism is a good good call. That's good. Okay, I want to come back to that, but first, I do. I really like this idea of like tapping into 
your childhood self and, yeah. and tapping into that part of you that loves play and will always love play. Yeah. How do you do that? Well, you know, it's funny. The design process that I went through with Harper's Playground, I, I, I maintained um, at this sort of zealots focus on making sure that anyone like Harper could get anywhere in the playground. Mm. So it, it really guided every choice. You know, anytime a designer had an idea that might compromise Harper's ability to navigate the whole space, then I fought against it. So I think that um, I certainly had no idea what I was getting into. I just knew that Harper had to get everywhere. Yeah. And then when we were putting something in the playground, whether it was the swings or um, some climbing piece, again, I ha- I, my next filter to make that decision was about whether or not Harper would be able to use it. Mm. So we have radical universal accessibility throughout the whole space and all of the features are adaptive or um, have the greatest chance that everyone can use them. Mm. Those two things plus our adherence to wanting to use natural materials and to maintain an overall beauty in the space, that today is still our design philosophy. Mm. It's so simple. And um, our whole business model is sharing that, that good news with as many communities as possible. That's amazing. As an expert, tell me about what the problems are with traditional playgrounds, yeah. which obviously, you know, you've already alluded to it, yeah. Harper can't use. Yeah. But then also, there are a number of playgrounds out there that are built to be inclusive, or at least that's the, the initial goal. That's the word uh, we're using, yeah. That isn't quite they're not as effective as what you've created. Yeah. Um, tell me about, you know, the problems there. Yeah. I think there, there are three main problems with the typical playground. First and foremost, they segregate kids who use wheels out of the equation mm. entirely. Second, they're overly structured environments. They're too much plastic and metal and stairways, and they're, they're overly prescribed yeah. so that the typical child doesn't get a very good experience out of them. And I think the third major problem is they're a component of a public space that is too narrow in its thinking. Mm. A playground shouldn't be just for kids. In fact, the playground industry says, here's an area that's for two to five-year-olds, here's an area that's for five to 12-year-olds, and that's it. And I think that's insane. I think a public park, whether it's the playground area or anywhere, should serve everyone. And that we do better if people of all ages and abilities play together and, and have a good time together. And I think ultimately shatter the notion that the playground is this separate entity. We think it should be more, um, should blur the line between public plaza and playground. The, you know, people walk into Harper's Playground and they often comment that it's like nothing they've ever seen before. Mm. That they feel really good when they enter it. And what we have found is that people of all ages stay long and play long and have a good time. That's amazing. So we solve all three problems in our model. All three. That's incredible. I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about Talkspace. We are huge self-care and mental health advocates here at Sounds Good. In fact, The people I was getting to learn from when we first launched the show, the guests we were having on, were some of the biggest encouragements for me to grow by starting therapy. It's been so incredibly helpful for me to better understand myself and the things happening in my life. And that's why I'm so excited to have Talkspace, the online therapy company, as this week's sponsor. 
Talkspace makes it easy to connect with an experienced licensed therapist that you pick based on your preferences for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy. And seriously, it is so easy. I went in and used my own little promo code to sign up. All you have to do is visit Talkspace.com slash sounds, enter your email, create a password, and add a nickname. And then you can hop straight into a consultation to get you matched up with your perfect therapist. And as a special offer for the listeners of Sounds Good, you can use your coupon code SOUNDS at Talkspace.com slash SOUNDS. It'll get you $30 off of your first month, and it is a wonderful way to support this podcast. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. And now let's jump back into the rest of our conversation. I just want to back up really quick. Yeah. It's a crazy idea to start a playground. Tell me about the moment where you and your wife looked at each other and you're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to, we're going to not sell energy drinks anymore. We're not going <laughs> to... I, like, I was at Adidas at the okay. time. Yeah. <laughs> we're, you know, we're not going to work with professional athletes. Uh, we're going to like put all of our attention and energy into building a playground. Like A lot of people in the world have ideas. A lot of people in the world see problems that need solutions. Not a lot of people actually take that next step to create something. Well, I would say we benefited from our naivete. We had no idea at first what we <laughs> were like getting that. ourselves into. Absolutely, um, it was it was a it was a fairly slow process in some ways. I mean, with these big epiphany moments, um, I have to backtrack back when Harper received her diagnosis, when we received the news, um, and there were many sleepless nights, many many sleepless nights, and and lots of worry. Um, I definitely was washed over with um, a calm when I decided that I was not going to focus at all on trying to change Harper, but I was going to shift my whole energy into changing the world. Wow. And I was going to change the world in a way that would change the way people with disabilities are spoken about, thought of, and included. That's beautiful. And that was um, when she was maybe two or three months old. It was four years later when I found the path. And the path, this this playground path, is proving to have been the way to, to to create this conversation. Wow. Okay. And so, tell me about those early days of getting started, like creating a playground. What's the first step you take as somebody who I presume has never created a playground before? Yeah, I think the first step is to go to your your actual playground department. Um, in Portland here, it's Portland Parks and Recreation, and every community usually has a department within the city government that manages the public playgrounds. And you tell them that you are intend, that you not, no, you don't say you intend, you say you are going to do this and you want their help. Um, wow. And you ask them, what is the path? Lay out the path for me on what I need to do to get this done. And I think more importantly, more important than anything, let them know you are serious, that you mean business, and that you're never going to stop. Is there a little bit of fake it till you make it there? Is there a little <laughs> bit of like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them think that I know what I'm doing? Or yeah. is that what it is? <laughs> well, I think uh, there's no doubt that being committed to the end result uh, is, I mean, this is back to almost philosophy. Yeah. You must commit to an end vision. You know, and while I, we spoke earlier about expectations... Um, you you remove expectations from the the key moments along the path. You allow the miracle to unfold, but you hold fast to the end mm. expectation. I guess because to create anything amazing, you've got to hold steady to a vision. 
Wow. Yeah. Um, now I, I like to, I can say though, that those people, your listeners should reach out to me. They should ask me for help because that's what we do as a business. Now, now you're a pro. Um, again, I don't want to use the word expert nor but pro, I <laughs> but, uh, I, I can help people. Yeah. That's amazing. In a way that we didn't find anyone who could help us in that manner. At the same time, we found hundreds and, and really thousands of people that, that helped us in small ways. They helped with little things, whether it was, and there is no little act of kindness, mm. but I mean, um, there were all these different pieces. I, I like to share, and I think it's important for your recording, the three years that were creating Harper's Playground, to me personally, felt like being the co-pilot on a hurricane of love. Mm. And what I really mean by that, it was completely out of control a lot of the times, and that was part of the joy of experiencing the reminder that we have so much power and yet so much is out of our hands and remembering that dichotomy and really playing with that dichotomy. That's beautiful. Being comfortable with it. Wow. Yeah. I think that's something that's, I feel like huge about life is this idea of like holding two things in your hand at once, this dichotomous experience. And what I found is that the people who are best able to accomplish things and the best able to change the world and the best able to cope with difficulties in their lives are able to hold dichotomous ideas in their heads and in their hands at the same time. Yeah, I think being comfortable with the, f- the notion that we are completely insignificant and yet we are complete masters of an entire universe. Mm. Both are true. We are, wow. we are specks of sand in a massive, uh, in a massive playground, let's call it. Um, <laughs> and we are creators of entire universes mm. and both are really true. Wow. Okay. So you've got this groundwork laid out of like, here's how you create a playground. W- what do you do next to actually start designing this thing? Because, you know, you were working for Adidas and Red Bull. You didn't, I would imagine have architectural experience. Um, Tell me about how you closed that gap. Well, I actually, I took drafting uh, my sophomore year of high school. Really? Um, <laughs> but uh, again, I think we're all born players and we're, yeah. all, we're all born designers. And I think that's kind of why I was touching on the fact that um, mm. the design of Harper's Playground and any really good design takes its cues from nature mm-hmm. and just re- really requires being attentive and it doesn't take it takes more about being a good listener yeah. than it does about being really skilled or so, or you know really smart um and ultimately it comes from tapping into your heart you know love created harper's playground and the design of harper's playground is reflective of just love guiding choices mm. not not theory and not overthinking things so after we met with our parks department uh, they very smartly suggested our next step was with our neighborhood association. Mm. So I'm getting back to process a little bit before I talk about design. The process of doing any massive project is getting stakeholder buy-in, basically, mm. and you start thinking about who's everyone who we should get on board for this. Even before we got into design, that's something we did. Um, and then with regards to design, that sophomore drafting class, I had a really good friend in that class who is now a fantastic landscape architect who was my one of my first calls and he helped um throughout the entire process make sure our design was excellent his influence on the design he is both a design expert pro and really good friend Mm. and um 
I think he That's would say I was involved, right? Um, and I learned a lot throughout the process. But he, I, he was our lead designer. His name wow. is Todd Gervin, and his skills in the design process were paramount. That's incredible. Yeah, you must get good people to help you. Yeah, for sure. And and it's an idea that. I would imagine good people flock to. They're like, I want to be a part of this. Well, that's a great question. So before Todd was really involved heavily, early on, the media got a hold of our story. And after the media got a hold of our story, we were flooded with playground industry catalogs and phone calls from sales guys. Got and it. We actually started down that path of building. This is an important thing for your readers to know or your listeners to know. The playground industry is flooded with people who are building, quote-unquote, inclusive playgrounds. Yeah. And they are these massive structures with ramps on them. We almost made that mistake. And I, if I do anything on this podcast, I want to warn people away from making that mistake. Mm. The, the massive structure with ramps does not solve any of those three problems that we talked about earlier. Not even close. Um, so we had that design. Our, our initial budget based on that design was $200,000. We started fundraising against that. And then there's a woman named Susan Goldsman, may she rest in peace, who is a world leader in the, in the idea that we have now embraced, which is you can create an inclusive environment that is elegant and uses natural materials that works better for everyone. And it, it you know... I hate to slam an industry, but it basically slams the pl- entire playground industry because they're predicated on this notion that you, a playground has to be this big, monstrous structure. Yeah. And that's just not true. It's just absolutely not true. So our budget went from 200000 almost instantly to $1.2 million when, we <laughs> shift, when we shifted gears. But believe it or not, I'm answering your question. Um, when we had this beautiful design... That was the result of really Todd's and Susan's efforts and a community of people who got gathered together. Interestingly enough, the day that that gathering was, was my birthday, mm-hmm. my 41st birthday. That was the day, as I listened to Susan describe the power of these playgrounds, that I knew this was what I would do the rest of my life. Wow. Absolutely, 100%. That was the moment. That's beautiful. It was really incredible. I was in tears because she was actually explaining how a good play environment one of the benefits is that childhood brain development in a natural playscape is more robust and rapid and beneficial. Hmm. And Harper's disability is slowed brain development. So that's why with tears in my eyes, I thought the rest of my life, I will now have a path to work on something I love doing that will benefit my daughter. Wow. Todd's drawing following this design change when we shifted our budget from 200,000 to 1.2 million, as you could imagine, it should, it should be compelling, but Todd's drawing was so gorgeous, and within the drawing, it was so obvious that this was going to be a unique space, a really incredible space. That's when we started attracting a really different, I I would just call it a caliber of person. Yeah. Not not just a person with more means, but we did start getting bigger, much bigger donations. Um, But we started gathering more dreamers, Mm. more visionaries, because the, the, the vision on paper was so so cool that uh you know i would like to say now if you want to catch bigger fish you use a bigger lure um the and that's really it doesn't do justice to what i'm talking about but creating a compelling vision one that truly is um shattering the mold mm. gathers the kind of people that you would want in your project that's incredible 
And I believe it. I 100% believe that because I experienced it. Watching the video, seeing the photos, like, like experiencing the playground, you, you know, even just in digital form or, or in, in layout form, blueprint form, it, it looks different. It looks like somebody dreamed it up and it's one of those dreams where you're like, oh, this is, this is incredible. Yeah. And it, so, and it, of course, it's going to attract the right people. It is that. It certainly gave... I was already so enthusiastic about going out and gathering support for our vision mm. already, but my enthusiasm quadrupled. I don't... It, it was multiplied by a million. That's amazing. And of course, as I already mentioned... I knew this was now what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. So the energy I threw into it, the enthusiasm I had for it was hard to measure. That's incredible. Let's fast forward a tiny bit. Yeah. You bring this thing to life. Yeah. Tell me about all of the different components of this playground. What made it different? What made it special? And Lennon, I would love for you uh, to tell me a little bit about your favorite part when you want to. Yeah. If you want to. Yeah, Lennon. Actually, I really want to know, what's your favorite part of Harper's Playground? Yeah? What do you like about it? Mm. And fun is good, right? <laughs> so, you know, I th first and foremost, I have to go back to our philosophy of, of what makes a good play space. And what, what truly makes it great is that it, it is for every person who enters it to decide what works for them best. It's just, it's open-ended. Um, the most important feature in the playground is the hill that we built. We have a large hill that, while it's covered in AstroTurf, and it has to be, real grass would, would uh, just not survive, Yeah. Um, on the, especially the robustness of the play on there. Um, but an, an, a natural form like a hill allows for climbing and jumping and running and sliding, and uh, the hill can be a pirate ship tower it can be a mountain mm. um, it's so open-ended um, so the the massive astroturf hill that we built really is the the i'd say the main draw um, then our sand area where children can spin a wheel to release water into sand mm. is probably equally important but you know it's number two it's a little smaller um, it's especially important for toddlers who are um, you know new to this world Children like to be able to shape their environment just yeah. a little bit, and so they can actually shape it by digging trenches and, cr and creating mounds, and it, it offers so much opportunity for collaborative play. When, when children play in an environment with natural materials that they're changing together, they usually get into a negotiation about sharing either a sand bucket or who's going to control the water, and these formative mm. play experiences are really uh, creating a foundation for collaborative adults wow yeah it's i didn't really even thought about that that's amazing and, and do you guys just like truck in sand how does that like how does that work so the, the sand does travel uh all over the playground <laughs> just, and it, it then dis and dissipates and <laughs> it goes home with people so yeah truckloads come in about probably twice a year cool and replenish we also love having cleanup parties and we sweep a lot of the sand back into the sand mm -hmm. area um Arbor Lodge Park, where the, the flagship Harper's Playground is located, is the largest of only three pesticide-free parks in the entire city of Portland. Wow. So it's really important to us to help maintain that pesticide-free status with cleanup parties. Mm. And it's also our showroom, so we like keeping it clean. Yeah. Okay, so you've got this giant hill. You've got sand. Yep. What else do you got? I'm going to go number three of importance is we've got a lot of 
artwork in in the space. Mm. There's a lot of bronze art pieces uh, that really tell a story. Uh, there are large sea turtles next to the sand area, and they've laid eggs. And then there are smaller turtles that are climbing around the entire play area. And, you know, it's funny. To, to break it down into its pieces, though, you really start to lose the magic, in a way, of mm. talking about what makes it so special. Um, the use of natural materials yeah. is a key component. We have these massive boulders that are not just ornamental. They are climbed on. They work as benches. Um, they provide one of the most important features in a playground, which is tactile feedback. Mm. Um, and the overall elegance and beauty of the whole space is really the glue that keeps it all together. That's incredible. You guys designed this beautiful space with all of this incredible, unique stuff. It's all natural. It's, it's built to be inclusive. You open up on day one. Tell me about the experience of people showing up to experience the the sand and the hill and uh, you know the whole the whole experience. You know the whole thing, the entire journey was so overwhelmingly uh, blessed with support and difficult with regards to actually literally managing all of the support. Mm. Uh, my inbox was this avalanche of people offering some form of help wow. and just navigating that. Yeah. Uh, just reading through it and deciding which of the many calls to make, uh, in what order it was all overwhelming. Um, I want to share that our groundbreaking ceremony, the first sort of ceremonial component of the project, uh, was, was really wonderful. We had so many city leaders and uh, neighbors and, uh, we broke ground, and the energy there was was fabulous. That set the tone for the whole build. Um, we were able to demolish the old playground with a volunteer effort. Wow. And the local uh, Timbers Army, the supporters group for our local MLS soccer team. The best. The best in the nation. Uh, I'm a proud member. We were able to do all that work as a team, and it was very cathartic, I think, to take out the old one yeah. together. Um, and then it was about a four-month construction process, and I really enjoyed having a key to the construction area and <laughs> walking around the space and seeing it take shape. And it was filled with so, uh, the process of building. It was so many ups and downs and late nights. And by the morning that it was time to actually cut the ribbon, I was dizzy with exhaustion and overwhelmed at th at the close of three years. So it really was it was completely surreal day wow the place was covered with probably about a thousand people and you know that that day itself you, you, i don't think you truly got the sense of how it was going to work yeah it, it, it unfolded over an entire year's time that we just observed day after day miracle after miracle of experience emails flooding in from people who have enjoyed the space um and it was at about our one year anniversary of being open that the Today Show did a feature story on, a, yeah. on our story. That's incredible. And so we not only had reams of um, supportive messages from neighbors who were loving the space, um, but after this Today Show feature ran, we had hundreds of emails from around the country from people who wanted our support mm. in taking on a project like ours. So it was um, literally one more full year um, that I had spent building the dream, building the plan to quit my day job and wow. do this as a full-time thing. And that's incredible. Like that's what an incredible thing to be able to leave your day job and become a full-time 
playground engineer, play, player? Player. I'm a player. My, my job title is executive director, um, which doesn't uh, – I need to come up with a – you know. but I know some, sometimes those job titles are a little cheesy. Chief play officer, but <laughs> I probably should be. Um, I just talked with uh, one of the co-founders of Life is Good, and uh, yeah. uh, his title is Chief Creative Optimist, which is a perfect fit for what he does. I like that. Yeah, I would like optimism in my job title for sure. <laughs> yeah, good, good on him. Um, so yeah, it's it's now my day job, and I have no idea what we were talking about anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't know either, but I'm loving it. Um, <laughs> during that first, you know, year where where the playground is coming to life, and you're seeing how kids are interacting with it, what were some of the things that you heard them saying? Mm. Well. Oddly enough, one of my favorite sounds at the playground is when a child pitches a, a good old-fashioned fit because they don't want to leave. Oh. Um, but that truly is one of the best measures of the success of the space, yeah. I think, is when um, children hate leaving the space. And you know, there's such a national, really global epidemic of children not getting the amount of play they need, mm. especially not outdoor free play. Um, children are sitting on iPads and... Childhood obesity is this national epidemic. And at Harper's Playground, you hear kids pitching a fit because they don't want to leave. Mm. And that remains one of my favorite sort of sounds. Um, on the more optimistic and, and just <laughs> just positive, I, I love being at the playground early in the day and witnessing families drive up or walk in from the neighborhood and children sprint from their cars or sprint mm. across the park to get to the play area. And there's something about the enthusiasm with which they enter the space and also the fit pitching that they do when they're leaving the space. <laughs> Those are some of my favorite things. That's incredible. Yeah. And ultimately, Harper's Playground is built to be an inclusive environment for kids who experience disability and kids who don't to all play together. Yeah. What's it like for kids to be able to play with kids that they, in other playgrounds, wouldn't get to play with otherwise? Well, I mean, you know, first and foremost, the, the most important epiphany of our whole project is that a, a truly inclusive environment benefits kids who experience no disability even more. Mm. And this is sort of, this is a natural component of universal design. I mean, um, I think one of the most universally designed items in the world is the iPad or the iPhone, you know, this ability to navigate universes with the, the touch of a finger. Yeah. And neither of those things were designed for people with disabilities, but they've evolved into um, some of the most utilized tools yeah. for, pe for people with disabilities. Um, and there's a great article in a Stanford magazine entitled The Curb Cut Effect, which outlines um, all of the benefits to people who experience no disability at all from the simple curb cut on a city street corner. Mm. That was, you know, it's, it's, a, it's imperative for somebody who uses a wheelchair to be able to navigate a cityscape. But... Um, a work person who's got a dolly or um, somebody on a bicycle or a skateboard or anybody pushing a baby in a baby carriage, man or woman, um, they utilize the curb cut. So this notion that um, universal design is a charitable yeah. endeavor needs to be shattered. It needs mm, to go away. That's people, good. Have to, people have to realize that universal design is better for everyone. It's better for everyone. Yeah. It's amazing. One of my favorite things about Harper's Playground is this metaphor that is a part of the entire thing. And I remember when I saw you uh, speak at TEDx Portland a few years ago, this is the thing that gave me a lot of goosebumps. 
tell me about sea turtles and how the sea turtle plays into this incredible park you've created. My wife and I actually, on our honeymoon, um, woke up on a beach right beside a t- sea turtle that was laying its eggs. So it was, it was a special thing for us um, on a personal level. But certainly as we were thinking about which animal to choose to, to create um, the bronze sculptures within the, the playground environment, what would it be? Um, we thought long and hard about should it be an animal that is really native to North Portland? And, if, <laughs> and most certainly the sea turtle is not. Um, but we settled on the sea turtle because uh, of the really powerful metaphor of uh, if you create the right environment, everyone can fly. The sea turtle struggles on land to move. It's an incredible sight to see a sea turtle use every ounce of energy it can just to drag itself on a beach and then again back into the water. Um, but when they're in the water, when they're in their natural environment, they literally soar like an eagle. And we wanted to create that message, that undertone that everybody, given the right space, can really fly. That's beautiful. So with all of this in mind, with with years of creating this playground and, and helping to empower people to create their own playgrounds and you know many more playgrounds are being dreamed up for the future. What does the future look like, both in terms of playgrounds and in terms of the world? Like, What does a more inclusive world look like? Yeah, I certainly think that uh, we can do this. Like, The human race can get through this madness that is division, that is uh, greed. One of the many beautiful things about Harper's Playground, I think it's it's the concept that we can we can share, we can all get along. Um, I mean, it's it harkens back to the old hippies, but um, and it's also about people power. The people can guide their governments on how they want this world to be. Um, because Harper's Playground is built in a public space, and we covet the the public space. Um, I think there's just so many, there's so many layers of messaging here. If we all get involved in shaping our own environments and demand literally that they serve everyone, um, we can do this. I mean, the, the playground is, is sort of the Trojan horse for me in the way of suggesting that we can take care of everyone. Cody is the coolest. I can't get over the fact that he is a person who has dedicated his entire life to making sure that everyone is able to play. Like, that makes him the most fun person to hang out with. (laughs) It felt like such a playful time. And, And what could be a more important life goal than to try and keep the child alive inside all of us? We need to go back to this important moment really quick in the conversation where Cody said this. I definitely was washed over with a calm when I decided I was not going to focus on changing Harper, but I was going to shift my whole energy in changing the world. And I was going to change the world in changing how people with disabilities are spoken about, thought of, and included. Wow, a lot of us see a lot of problems in the world that need solutions, but not a lot of people actually take that first step towards solving that problem. It's so inspiring to hear Cody's story and see how that has activated real change in the world. And even more than that, brought awareness to this idea that play is an idea worth fighting for. It's important to remember that Cody and the team at Harper's Playground do not build playgrounds out of charity for kids experiencing disabilities. 
They build them because an inclusive environment is better for everyone. To emphasize what I said earlier, if you create the right environment, everyone can fly. You've got to follow Cody Goldberg and Harper's Playground on Twitter and Instagram and check them out and support their work at harpersplayground.org. Their work is incredibly important and could use your help in spreading the word. If you're new to this show, sounds good. We would love for you to stick around and listen to more episodes. If you liked this episode, you'd also love our conversations with Bob Goff and Jason Russell, both giants in paving the way for real change to happen with one act of radical kindness. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, 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 a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. You can get lots more hopeful stories like this one by following us on social media everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. And I'm so excited to share that we have just launched issue two of the paper. If you're already following us online, you've seen the cover. It is beautiful, and I cannot wait for you to see the inside and all of the incredible stories of good news that we're sharing. Order your copy of the good newspaper today at shop.goodgoodgood.co. Oh, and one more thing before we go, I just want to say thank you to Talkspace for sponsoring this week's episode. Go to Talkspace.com slash sounds and enter the coupon code sounds to get 30 bucks off of your very first month. On that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week, and we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good? <laughs>